Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. Normal class time this week has been postponed due to the Christmas holiday season. However, that doesn't mean you on the podcast must go without. Pastor Adi and I sit down to discuss anxiety, what we can do to ease it, how to maintain consistent Christian values while tackling societal issues, and more. Enjoy. Well, I, uh, I, I had referenced earlier um, an article in the Lutheran Witness that just recently came to my house, so I, I'm guessing it's probably the December issue. They have a, a feature in there where this guy writes about current kind of current events or current trends. And uh, usually I just kind of sort of scan it, you know, to see if there's anything of any interest there. But this this particular issue uh, kind of grabbed my attention because in the first part of it, um, what he was talking about or what he was observing in society was how anxious people are. And his observation of... Um, that the level of anxiety seems to be surpassing and uh, levels of anxiety that Americans have experienced in the in the past. And of course, that you, you can reference the past um, with some validity based on either um, uh, literature that was written in the past where they've talked about it or movies that would portray it or actually talking to people who have lived in the past. And so we think about people that grew up during World War II, people that grew up in the Depression, you know, all the way till now, people that are living now and comparing the the uh, eras in which people are um, living. And so anyway, the, the point of the article was just to talk about it from that perspective, that uh, people today as much as we clamor for, um, you know, rights and privileges and who has privilege and who doesn't have privilege and all those arguments that people have, um, that what the undercurrent of it is that people are increasingly anxious and his point that they were increasingly fearful of each other, um, that, um, the, for example, on college campuses where there's a huge emphasis on creating a safe space and the whole idea of can I have freedom of speech uh, well what if 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 I express my speech and it and you're opposed to what I say then do you have tolerance for me and my free speech when my free speech contradicts your free speech? I mean, what do we do with that? Or do you, are you afraid that you'll get raked over the coals for Yeah, or physically something? beaten up, you know? Right. I mean, this whole thing about... Um, and so there's some lamenting now that's going on among people in higher education, and, that, and I've read this in other, other circles, not just in this particular article. Um, that they're very concerned about free speech on college campuses, that there's a, there's a bias some places. I, I think bias works two ways, um, conservatively as well as liberally. But that there's just this idea that if, 
if um, if we become so afraid of expressing ourselves, and even if we do it respectfully, but if we become so afraid of some sort of recrimination that's kind of come back on us in the form of persecution or something, that then what 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 happens is the toll that it takes is on critical thinking. That um, and this was one of the points of the of the article was that there's so much emphasis now on how people feel as opposed to what people think, that, that we, we now are making decisions based on feelings rather than based on evidence or based on fact or based on um, thought. And uh, that somehow that shift that's taken place, um, the toll that it takes is on am I making decisions based on critically thinking something through, considering the consequences, considering the, the impact, the effect, that kind of thing, or am I solely making decisions on how I feel in the moment, uh, whether it's fearful or happy or whatever it is, and then because that's so fleeting, uh, what sort of uh, future does that, does that predict? That was a very, very intriguing article for me. Well, I wish I wish I could have read it. So yeah, it was, I know. I'm thinking, gosh, I wish I had it right here in front of me in my briefcase, and I didn't have it today. And so that was in the Lutheran Witness, right? Yeah, it's in the very first part uh, of the Witness. They, they, I mean, the very first part is a bunch of commercials, but after that, there's this section on current trends. I, I forgot what the actual title of it is, but it talks about current trends. And he goes into an area dealing with rights. Um, You know, there's a lot of emphasis now on my right to do this versus your right to do that. And uh, the question of where does the the idea of serving come in? How does that, how's that affected if my emphasis in my life is I have a right to this, I have a right to that, kind of turns into a bit of a selfish sort of perspective, um, kind of counter to serving. So you mean like, so what do you mean by serving? Do you mean like serving from a, from like a, just a human perspective? Serving yeah. from a Christian yeah. perspective? Well, I mean, this obviously is written from a Christian perspective, but, but um, the whole idea of serving involves basically a, a laying down of my rights. In other words, a, a saying that um, I'm going to submit my right to something to serve you. So it's kind of a mindset, maybe. It's not necessarily just Christian. But, right. but when my focus in life is on what I have a right to expect or what I have a right to get, even if I don't have the right, you know, it's more of a privilege than a right— um, if that's my focus in life, then where where does service fit? Is is service kind of negated out of the picture because I'm so focused on getting what I want out of life and what I have a right to expect out of life? You know, right? And then where people of opposing sides butt heads, does that then detract from the Christian message that you're trying to? spread I think it I think it can um, kind of my my working theory from a counseling perspective is that the more anxious a person is 
Anxious meaning the more reactive I am, okay, in a certain situation, stressed or upset, you know, that kind of stuff. Then the less likely I'm interested in serving you. Because what happens in our brains and our bodies when we are stressed, then the the, the human body goes into self-preservation yeah, mode. You want to get out of that stress. You, you become uncomfortable. Yeah, and I want the stress to stop. So either I'm going to make it stop by running away from it or by chameleon, like freezing, like I talked about in Sunday school, or um, fighting it in some way, dominating it, um, hoping that that will make the stress stop or, or at least I'll feel like I'm more in control. And so my theory is is that the higher the, the discomfort a person feels in the stressful moment, then everything about you becomes self-preservation. And when, when you're, if you act on self-preservation, there's very little room for serving because it's really going to be all about serving me, not serving you. The, the one exception would be um, – I think somebody mentioned this in Sunday school, that a, uh, a, a mother or a father, if, if the source of the stress has something to do with a threat to their children, then they'll go into um, a protective mode that is more about protecting the child than it would be protecting the, uh, protecting the adult in that moment. But, but generally speaking, it's, we're still more geared to self-preservation or self-serving than we are uh, thinking, of the, uh, thinking of the other person. You know, there's right. only room for two of us. There's only room for one of us on the lifeboat and if push comes to shove, you're going overboard. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> By nature anyway. Yeah. And I feel like I get and, and I guess in those in the concentration on those anxieties, we're losing our concentration on our focus rather on Jesus and his message and what he what he wants his followers to do. Yeah, I, I kind of think that that in the moment of the stressor, we're not thinking an awful lot about Jesus. We're thinking mostly about ourselves. What we always hope is that that is just in the moment. And so the trick would be in the moment to not act on my instincts in the moment. If my instincts are to attack you or to exert some power over you because I feel threatened by you, okay, that's my instinct. That would be my, my sinful nature, we would call that in theologically. But then where does the Jesus part come in or where does the Holy Spirit come in? Well, probably what I'm going to need to do is step back from the moment, collect myself a little bit, maybe breathe a little bit, uh, meditate on Scripture, something like that, to help bring myself back down to a, a reasonable place, rational place. And then I can let... Um, the leading of the Holy Spirit or what I know from the Scripture or just being a nice person kick in, and I have a better chance then of thinking of you in the moment instead of just me. And I mean, I can I can definitely speak a little bit from that per perspective. And uh -huh. I don't know how in-depth or I guess uncomfortable. You want to make the 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 conversation, but we can go down a couple of different. Well, let's go see. Let's go through. see where it goes, and then yeah. if we decide that 
it's too personal or whatever, um, then we can just say, well, okay, um, that's about is all okay. I want to say about that. Because you 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 mentioned you know not jumping on, uh, like or or I guess reacting immediately mm-hmm. uh, to something that may be inflammatory or opposing in some way, mm-hmm. um, and and that spoke to me personally because in in my past. Uh, I have had to deal with uh, some anger management issues, mm-hmm. um, and it has affected relationships both uh, with my with my family, with romantic relationships, things like that, uh, even with some friendships. And it definitely, and that that was when I was <laughs> um, here. I am saying, oh, it was in younger. my younger years. Yeah, you were so much oh, younger. Man, yes, Phil. Like, yes, that's right. About half my age that I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> I I, actually know. Sure, I love it. In my twenties, yeah, of course, yeah. And that was, and and that's definitely a a a very uh, exciting time, Mm both both uh, as life in general. But anyway, I found that like I just needed to take more time to myself, and I've and I've gone through counseling of my own, and I've gone through, um, you know, I've 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 gone through some self help uh, books. I read some literature that way to help recognize the, some of the signs, like uh, kind of instructing myself to recognize what's going on in my body so that I can appropriately, uh, identify it Mm -hmm. and then take myself out of whatever situation that's causing that help calm myself down, then reapproach, slowly reintroduce myself and reapproach, uh, that subject with, with a more level head. Yeah. Yeah. Really that's, What you just described is what we coach. We try to coach that with – I do anyway – try to coach that with with, uh, people. And there's something about relationships where that's more likely to to come into play. I mean I think when – when you have a friendship or you in your love life, your marriage, your church is a classic example. When when it feels like there's something in something of you that's invested in it, it it always feels like there's more to lose somehow if if we get triggered. There's more to lose in the sense of I want you to know where I'm coming from or I want you to agree with me you know there's something that we feel is like at stake and so when there is that that uh, exponentially increases the likelihood that I'm going to go from a three I like to use a scale of one to ten I go from a three to a nine just like that and kind of my rule of thumb is to say that when you hit a six then that's the moment of truth because the six is real close to the seven. And when you hit the seven, you're at a 10 without even thinking about yeah, real it. Real quick. Absolutely. So, so the trick is to say, to recognize what your six is. And then if you hit your six, then that's the time to create some way to, 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 to have a little space. It might mean go to a different room or, you know, go outside, you know, that kind of thing, whatever it is to remove yourself from whatever is the trigger or the individual or something that triggered you. And that's when you, okay, I got to get out of sight, out of mind. I got to distract myself to some degree, but also I need to kind of do some things for my body, breathe a little bit, slow it down, 
that kind of thing. And it, what it does is it actually lowers the stress level. It lowers the fight-flight, which is really important. And you, you're able to actually, if with a little bit of practice, you're able to take what's called perspective, meaning that, that you can see more clearly how your reaction might be affecting somebody else and that somebody else might have a perspective different from yours. There's room for it. When you hit a seven, there's no room for anybody's perspective but our own. And uh, that can cause some some problems, yeah. And and just something to add on to that mm-hmm. is that it the, implementing this type of, not necessarily damage control, but, you know, like yeah. like checking of, of yourself mm-hmm. is really easy and with with the fewer people that are involved. Yes. <laughs> Whether it's yourself or just one <laughs> other person, it gets exponentially more difficult than the number of people that become involved. So like so when you when you're in a more crowded environment, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, say like at a at a town hall or right. at some sort of a committee meeting or, or a something church like that. voters meeting. How about yeah, that? Something like oh, that. Yes. <laughs> it, it's like tempers can quickly flare and not and you know, it's just more variables of the human race mm-hmm. um, that may not necessarily know all the steps to or, or be able to practice uh, all the steps involved to to help, you know, tame those those ref, ref, reflexes, those yeah. instinctual reflexive feelings. I'm a I'm a big believer in muscle memory. I played sports when I was in high school and college and seminary. And so it really resonates me with me to think in terms of muscle memory that that the idea is is that if I practice something over and over and over again when I'm not stressed, then I create a muscle memory so that when I am stressed, my body will more naturally go into it. So it's a little bit like, um, you know, if you ever watch a professional golfers, which I'm not a golfer at all, but I love watching golf. Because I love studying how the golfer himself manages his own uh, emotions and his own intensity in a big moment. So uh, the big moment for a lot of golfers is when they when the tournament is on the line and they have to make a three-foot putt. It's not the 60-foot putt. It's the three-foot putt that creates the most stress because it's the easiest one to make and it's the easiest one to miss. And what they do is they do the same routine every single time, which tells you that when they were practicing out on the uh, practice course by themselves or with their coach, they did the same thing every single time. And what that does is creates muscle memory, and, and then your body says, oh, yes, we know this. We know what's going to happen. We know to take a breath. We know to relax. We know to concentrate. We know all those things. And it's the same thing, I believe, when it comes to managing our reactivity on our emotions in stressful situations, whether it's in a, in a meeting or in a town hall or it's in a some sort of, you know, gathering with people or family reunion or Thanksgiving at home, whatever it is, that if we wait to practice it, if we wait until we're in the stressful situation, it's too late. We'll go and we'll go what is our natural instinct to do. So if your instinct is to yell at people, well, then that's what you're going to do. You'll regret it later, but that's what you'll do. My instinct is to go super quiet 
And, and what that means is that if, if I need to speak up, my instinct is not to do that. So see, everybody has their own form of fight flight and what they do, and that's we do what we've always done. So if you want to do something different, you have to practice it outside of the stressful situation so that you have muscle memory in place for when the stress, stressful situation comes. An example of this, I had a client one time who was a Air Force pilot, and um, the kind of airplanes that he and his crew were flying were these cargo planes, these C, C-17s, I think is what it was. They, they fly out of uh, the Joint Reserve Base a lot over in Fort Worth. And he was uh, telling me that um, the, what they practice here in Fort Worth is what's called a corkscrew landing, which is basically – when they come in for a landing, these are relatively slow cargo planes, and they come in and they have to do this kind of sort of twisting, controlled crash sort of landing. And I said, well, why do you have to do that? He says, because when we're flying to Afghanistan, the plane is the most vulnerable when it's coming in for a slow landing. And if you try to land it in the typical way that planes do around here, Predictable path. You're going to get shot down by a surface, you know, fry a, a shoulder-mounted uh, missile. So they have to practice this sort of controlled, chaotic landing over here where it's safe so that when they get in the war zone, which is highly stressful, then um, they can do it and still manage their, their emotions and manage their reactivity. And I thought that's a perfect example of what you and I need to do in practicing something when it's a safe environment so that our bodies will kick in automatically or somewhat automatically when we're in that stressful situation. Okay. And okay. And so taking it from a physical war zone, this is going to be a weird segue, but taking it from the physical war zone to more of a spiritual war zone yeah, yeah. in a way um, and keeping on with the subject of anxiety where I'm where I get anxious and try and practice more is going through, I guess, some mental scenarios in my mind on my commute, wherever it may be, on how I may be able to be a better witness to my to my friends and my and my family. This is difficult to, I guess, to to express, but it's just hard for me to um come up with the right words to say in that moment when when the stress happens of say like you know I'm out with friends and um some are not are non-christian mm-hmm. uh, but I still value them as friends mm-hmm. and some topic of conversation goes on to the, them living with or moving in with their significant other. Okay. Not, uh, uh, or pre-marriage. Pre-mar- and, yeah. Pre- living together without being married. sexual relations, sure. things like that. Even, say, topics of, uh, of homosexual marriage coming out. Um, and when, when those topics come up, it's hard. It, I, I do kind of go into a freeze mm-hmm. method of where I, I, I more just observe and listen mm-hmm. more than I speak. Yes. Because I do want to be very careful on what I, what I would say I'm with next. you there. Sure. Um, and it has become kind of a little bit of an inside and running joke with, with some circles of my friends <laughs> <laughs> where uh, they, well, they know where, you know, where I stand 
uh, usually, but in terms in terms of like talking about mm-hmm. about those, I, I'm trying to become more uh, comfortable in those uncomfortable situations, and so that that's more what I'm battling with and struggling with on a day to day basis. Nowhere near the you know zipping in and out. Yes, <laughs> the uh, trying to uh, land in uh, Afghanistan. Well, but. there is to some degree trying to still avoid the missiles, though, aren't we? And, and crash landing. I Different mean, types of that's missiles. That's really yeah. kind of what we're trying to do here. Yeah, I I hear you totally. Um, I've noticed that my brain, and some of it's as I get older, but I just think it's I roll this way. I don't have a quick brain. So my brain is getting slower too. <laughs> <laughs> so there, I know there are people that are, you know, probably one of their skills is that they can argue better than I can, and and it's clear to me that they probably have um, honed their arguments to support their position way better than me. And, and to some degree, maybe they just argue, have argued it more with other people. And then when they get to me, it's like I'm feeling like I'm out of my league when it comes to how fast my brain works. But what I have found is, is that if I have, if I've given some thought to what the ramifications of their argument is, okay, especially in the sexual morality stuff that is just the hot thing everyone wants to talk about. So whether we're talking about gay relationships or straight relationships, people living together, sex before marriage, kind of all those things, is that I find that if I can take that conversation to a deeper level in terms of what are the ramifications of what it is people are proposing to say is right or wrong, then to me that shifts the argument or the conversation away from just talking about the surface stuff and the symptomatic stuff, and it gets us into a deeper place talking about more foundational or more fundamental stuff. So an example of that would be the, uh, the, the arguments that are often made in support of you know, abortion or gay marriage or living together without being married, those kinds of things. The argument that often is made is, well, Jesus didn't say anything about those things. So somehow that means that it must be okay because Jesus didn't talk about it, okay, or Jesus didn't condemn it. And, And, you know, inevitably what happens is we get into this sort of slinging Bible passages at each other's sort of strategy of saying, uh, well, I'll see your verse and raise you another verse. I mean, that's kind of what it ends up being. Um, But what I like to talk about um, in that context is to talk about it from the perspective of, of asking the question, what are the ramifications spiritually of saying that if Jesus had something to say about it, or let's say Jesus didn't have anything to say about it, but St. Paul did. The ramifications of that argument is that I'm tearing the Bible apart, and I'm saying that if Jesus said it or didn't say it, that has authority. And if Paul said it or didn't say it, then that doesn't have authority. So now we're going to say that the only part of God's Word that has any authority and then therefore has any standing in my life is what Jesus said versus what Paul said. And to me, that's a bigger, that is a bigger price to pay 
than whether or not we agree or disagree on the surface symptomatic kinds of things. And I've kind of like run into that as well, like struggling that personally Mm -hmm. um, on some message boards that I've I've been in. Well, I've taken that exact argument. Yeah. where it's where I said, you know, well, did Jesus actually say X, Y, Z? And, and, but later on it say like in, in Acts or, or, uh, or Corinthians yeah, or Corinthians, wherever, it wherever was. Right. um, you know, the, yeah, there's more clarification. Mm-hmm. And so I, that, that was just something that I was struggling with at the time, but I will, I, I will kind of flip it on, on its head. Um, not flip flip what I'm saying, but flip what you what you mentioned earlier. Uh-huh. Um, and this is where I get flack from not only some of my uh, more more liberal friends, mm-hmm. but also my conservative friends and and family as well. Mm-hmm. So we mention on say like the topic of healthcare. Right. Big point of contention is that well, with a more liberal view on how healthcare should be provided, it, there's an allotment for for abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, on the more conservative side, I'm not quite sure where, what, what allotment is for taking care of the sick and needy like Jesus Christ commands us. Mm-hmm. So, so that's my, that's where, where, what I'm struggling with, where yeah. I'm like, okay, I, I understand thou shalt not kill. That's why, that's why I, I, I'm in total agreement. Abortion is bad, but how, how, is the opposite argument any better when we're denying healthcare to so many people that do have a need for it? Mm-hmm. We're, we're denying medication that can be manufactured affordably, and, like, for example, uh, insulin um, or even EpiPens, and, and people, uh, corporations can't afford, right. yeah, can't afford them because mm-hmm. the prices have been raised mm-hmm. thousands thousands of percentages mm-hmm. multiple times like how 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 is that any better or worse of an argument in terms of abiding by the commandment of not killing because by denying that i would i would argue that by denying that life-saving medication to that person simply because they are too poor to avoid to afford it right that de facto you're, yeah. you're doing that if you're if yeah. you're poor you're dead sure so how can you justify that, I guess, legal murder, mm-hmm. to to use certain terms, versus, well, we can't have universal health care for all because of abortion. Right. Which, I mean, that is a whole nother point. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've, now I'm going on a tear because in my, in, for me, it, it, it bothers me that abortion is legal now from a, from a Christian perspective in mm-hmm. that it's, it's sad that it is an option. Yeah. It, it, and what I mean by that is that I would like to see a world where a an abortion clinic goes out of business because nobody wants to get an abortion. Right. Versus it being forced to go on the black market mm-hmm. and being closed legally and and people being driven underground to to get those abortions instead. Yeah, it's really it, and and you raise such great points because um, I I find myself wrestling with um, how do you be consistent you know, if you're if you're opposed to murder which we should be in terms of of uh, of the commandment uh, and then we look at what not only what's being prohibited murder 
but also what's the opposite? What is it that's being encouraged, which is the caring for human life? And that we can probably argue all day, well, okay, when does life begin? Well, I'm a conception right. guy, so I believe it's conception. And I don't believe that the 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 idea that, well, it's just tissue inside the mother. I mean, really, come on. Um, but those are arguments that are made. So, you know, how do you be consistent? Then, then if you're going to care for life in the womb, well, then you ought to be caring for life all the way through the lifespan of a person, which would include not dumping somebody in a nursing home and then never seeing them ever again. I mean, right. there's a whole, there's a whole uh, range, uh, even the whole issue of capital punishment. I mean, you get into that aspect of it as well. How do you be humane to somebody who's, you know, in prison? And not, and, and, and yes, I agree. I agree with that, but also not going even that far. Many, people I see that are pro-life, they're yeah. more so pro-birth because yeah. once the baby's born, then you're, mm-hmm. sorry, mom or, or mom and dad, you're, you're on your own. That's, right. that was your choice. We're not yeah. going to support you at all. Sure. So not only, yeah, the end of life yeah. for, for elderly or legal, legally in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, capital punishment. Sure. Um, I, I'm actually against that as well. Um, but in the the thing that I that always brings me back with with abortion is that you can decide to not have an abortion, mm-hmm. which is why I'm more in There's favor of taking of of providing as many options as possible to avoid the choice of abortion mm-hmm. rather than just banning it outright. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think for a lot of us, I guess those of us that come out of a pro life perspective, I. I also look at it from the perspective of that, yes, maybe it's true that or accurate to say that we don't want the government stepping in and making a decision to prohibit something. Yes, it ought to be between the people involved and their doctor. Okay, I get that. But who's going to speak for the child, number one? And then number two, shouldn't ought the father have some say as well. And oftentimes those two entities are completely cut out of the conversation that it's only about the mother and it's only about the doctor. So so I, I take a little broader view, which I'm sure, quite sure, is not very popular in some circles, um, that <clears throat> somehow the baby who isn't a baby who's just a tissue is a, that person's well-being is is not considered and then the father who would have been a part of this too whether it was uh, uh, by choice or not is somehow cut out of the picture too i think that looking at it from a pastoral perspective which is the other side of my life as well that we're really talking about abortion on demand here we're not consistently talking about rape or incest but even having said that, there's still a life there, and that right. life is a is a is a child, and should not that life have value, irrespective of how the what the circumstances were under which the life was um, was created or at least conceived, and so there's that part of it too, and so it's going back to your original question. I think was how do we how does a person of when a person has principles on which you stand and those principles are biblically based, 
how do you remain consistent and, and, and avoid the, the possibility that you're just going to kind of pick and choose? From a healthcare for all kind of perspective and all of that sort of thing, as I get closer and closer to Medicare, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a certain part of me that's going, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I, the other part of it, there's this sort of individual responsibility part for me that I just don't necessarily trust that the government is going to be the best administer of those kinds of things. And because, um, you know, again, human nature being what it is, taxes, I don't like them any better than anybody else. (laughs) You know, there's that part of me, too, that looks at it and says that um, individual responsibility calls for me to work in order to pay for those things and there is a part of me that thinks, well, okay, if somebody can't work, they're impaired in some way, you know, they're ill in some way, mentally impaired, whatever it might be. Okay, those are those are different situations. Um, I don't know personally if I'm totally buy into the idea that it ought to be free for everybody right. because I'm thinking, well, somebody's going to have to pay for that, you know. And so there's that, that I'm probably revealing more of my conservative Republican side <laughs> than I am anything else here. But then, but then, okay, well, going from a, going from a biblical perspective sure. on that, then what about, say, the story that we just finished with uh, in, in John, yeah. where, where Jesus fed the 5,000, sure. you know, showing an abundance yes. from Jesus. Yes. And that, you know, there, there's no need for want. With with the living water that is right. that is Jesus right. Christ. Yeah. So that's where me as as a developing a Christian who continues to develop, uh, that's something that I'm wrestling with now. Is is okay? We we have we have such a we do have such abundance and wealth, mm-hmm. uh, at least as a nation. But I guess the the issue lies with not everyone who has that wealth doesn't necessarily have a Christian giving heart. Right. Right, and so that that's where I'm trying to find a, a balance in terms of just me, a uh, one lowly uh, Christian in the crowd, as trying to live. Yeah, I I love the fact that you're struggling with that because part of the struggle or out of a struggle like that, that's how we grow and that's how we um, mature. Get well, not that we ever mature, but you know what I'm saying that we get more mature in our perspective toward that, toward to those to whom much has been given, then much is required, in, and not in a sort of um, coerced kind of way. Um, it, it, that does kind of touch on the whole area of stewardship, of what it means to be a steward, is that I'm entrusted with somebody else's property. It's not my property. It never was my property to begin with. It's, you know, God provides it. He creates it. And then he says, here, I want you to go use it. And part of using it certainly involves um, being generous and charitable for other people that don't have as much. And maybe they don't have privilege or maybe they don't have the means or maybe they don't have the education, whatever is the thing. Um, The Old Testament uh, instructs us a lot about um, reserving or setting aside uh, for uh, certainly for uh, the care of God's house, but also for people among us who are less fortunate. So there, there's tons of 
biblical admonition and encouragement for us to do that. Um, Again, it's kind of not in our nature when we feel ourselves that we're in survival mode, um, getting back to kind of fight-flight sort of stuff. Our instinct is to hold on real tight and not let anybody take it away from me. And and, uh, sometimes that's when government steps in and says, well, too bad, we're going to take it anyway or else. But what we always hope is that we would be generous and we would be sharing with others to take care of others as well as to care for ourselves, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that was a good we, little, we've, was a good uh, we've run, there. we've run the full gamut <laughs> here, haven't we, Phil, yeah. in terms oh, yeah. of what we're, what we're, co- oh, yeah. what and we're I can, covering. And I can guarantee that from this conversation, we'll probably get uh, some, some feedback Good. Both positive and negative. Yeah. Well, <laughs> even if it's positive or negative, I like the idea of being able to listen and to hear where people are coming from. I don't always get the sense that people want to know where I'm coming from. But that's what that's what I like about this format is that I, I get a chance, and you and I both, we together, we do this real well together, to, to, to sort of say, here's where I'm coming from. I'd like to know where somebody else is coming from, but but I'm I'm always going to try to dig deeper on it and say, what's the basis of where you're coming from? And particularly when we talk about the Bible and those kinds of things, to me, the prize or the the thing that matters the most, way more than what goes on on the surface, is what's going on underneath. That's what that's where I think that. We sometimes um, we miss we miss that boat, and we got to talk about it at that level. Oh yeah, and and, and so you mentioned the you mentioned the question of what what is a basis of mm-hmm. where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, a lot of the society issues uh, or or like political questions, political stances that mm-hmm. I take, just decisions that I make in 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 life in general, I continuously ask myself a question that I'm not able to really get an answer to yet. Maybe it's because I haven't read enough scripture or, or just found the right passage or had it explained to me in the right way. But it like my decisions necessarily just boil down to this question that I ask myself, which is, am I in charge? It's does God charge me with the, with the salvation of others. And what I mean by that is, see, it's even hard for me to explain right now, but um, I know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, Mm -hmm. right? Am I charged with forcing others to go to Christ? I guess that's the most, that's one of the most simple ways that I can, that I can put it. I can show people how to live a, a Christ-like life by mm-hmm. by doing the best that I can to walk in the ways of Christ. Right. But in terms of, say, for example, passing legislation to ban to abolish abortion, mm-hmm. or passing, um, say, for example, legislation to let's say abolish uh, premarital sex, mm-hmm. in order to force others to not commit adultery mm-hmm. and therefore sin against God. Yeah. Like how far? how far are we pushing it to where I just become another Pharisee (laughs) persecuting Jesus himself? Okay. So, um, should I like, so I'm doing this for your own good. 
Pastor yeah. Audie, or I'm doing this for your own good, yeah. Joe off the street. Right. Um, you know, the you know, the reason why I'm taking I, I'm either allowing you to only do this or allowing you to not do that. So you do not sin and so you can be with God in heaven. You know, like like how far like how far do I take that yeah. with myself? Okay, so <laughs> let me let me see if I can be because I, I I feel like a lot of like a lot of these political issues that we have mm-hmm. is trying to legislate morality on other people. Yeah. Well, I mean, let me see if I can go back to your original thing that you said. Who's self? Like not salvation, I guess. Maybe I'm saying the wrong term. Mm-hmm. But should I only be focused on living a Christian life uh, so that I can continually have assurance that I will be with Christ in heaven? In heaven? Right. Or should I be concerned with making others have uh, have that same salvation? Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think I... It's it's really hard for me to explain. Yeah. Well, you're doing a pretty good job getting there, because <laughs> you have to kind of slog through the quicksand to get there. But I, but I think some of it, some of it, you know, the it, it there's a little bit of church state in your question. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of um, can you legislate morality in there, and so some of the some of the differences in how people look at that, ironically enough, has more to do with the DNA of their denominational background than it does just across the board of whether you're Christian or not. Some people feel that the job of the Christian is not only to promote the idea of a relationship with Jesus, and then therefore um, we are the you go to heaven or not, okay, kind of your eternal destiny. But they also feel that the job of the Christian is to make the world be more civil or make the world be more Christian or make the world be more moral, okay? And sometimes I think that with people for whom that's an important thing, it's hard to tell which is more important to them. Is it more about um, sharing the gospel with people so that more people are get into heaven? Or is it that we share the gospel with people so that we can make people behave better and be nicer to each other? Okay? It doesn't have to be an either or, but it's just sometimes hard to tell with that because what can happen is, is that you lose sight of what your purpose was and the purpose shifts and then now, not only do we have to uh, make sure that everybody's nicer to each other, but we want to pass laws to ensure that people are nicer to each other. Right. And then we have to make sure that we can elect the right people to pass the right laws in order to make sure that people are nicer to each other. Exactly. And um, I just thought of the, I guess, kind of the perfect analogy of what, I, what I'm trying to express. Uh-huh. You know the saying, you can lead a horse to water, yeah, but you can't make them drink. Exactly. So... Proper analogy because with with water being Jesus, uh-huh. the horse being the unbeliever. Yes, you can lead the unbeliever to Jesus. Yeah, but you can't ha- make them drink that the the water that is Jesus Christ. That's right. So I guess, so maybe I ju- we just work through 
<laughs> my question, but but I'm like, should we force the horse to drink the water? No. Okay. No, I mean, <laughs> that, because, that's what I, that's what I'm because that's a coercive style of, you know, kind of the Inquisition of the Middle Ages. Um, you know, I will draw my sword and then I'm going to ask you, do you believe in Jesus or not? And I'm standing there with yes, my sword. Right, yeah. hey, you know, I mean, that's a little bit of a then. Which, it, is it really love then? Yeah, is it really faith? I mean, yeah. is it or just, okay, the threat here is... Which one is it? Now, it is kind of interesting that in the New Testament times that there—and and, and sort of post-New Testament, when there was a lot of persecution, there were moments where people would—Christians would, Christians would ha- have a soldier stand in front of them, and, and the soldier's looking at them with his sword drawn, and they're saying— if you don't recant your faith. So it wasn't that you would ha- say that you believe, it was that you give up your faith. And if you don't give up your faith, I'm going to kill your family. Well, what the heck kind of choice is that for a Christian who is a believer and is himself prepared to go to heaven? But the, that's not the choice. It's your, your loved ones uh, will kill unless you recant your faith. And so there were a lot of Christians who, who in those moments of weakness and doubt, wondered if did I, was my faith genuine? Was my faith really sincere in those moments? You know, given the stress of the situation. Um, and it's really in that context that the whole doctrine of predestination was was formed, especially out of the book of Ephesians, is a good example where it talks about that, that before the creation of the world, God knew who was his own. And that even if you have this moment of terrible weakness when, you know, you say you believe, and but your heart is dying on the inside, and then you're worried about, oh my gosh, was I really weak to the point of rejecting in that moment? I don't have to worry about that because before the creation of the world, God knew who was his own. Right. And, and yeah. And so I would be kind of in agreement with that Yeah. then because I mean, it, it matters what's in your, what's in your heart. Yeah. You know, you can under that amount of duress, yes. you can say that you recant, but like in your heart, you know that you don't and God sees that. Yeah. So, so that's a little different than what you were describing before where it's the idea of, Sort of forcing people to believe, but that there was a lot of that that went on in in uh, in the Crusades and and kind of that time period, which we're not you know we don't live in that time period, but thank good. Well, some people think we it, we actually do. You know, I guess in some places maybe they do, but um, it's just again it's that idea that as much as I would like you to enjoy the good thing that I have, which is faith in Jesus and all the blessings that go with that. At the end of the day, I can't make you do that. I can influence you. I can certainly show you the benefits of it because you're seeing the benefits of it in me, and hopefully you're going to say, you know, I want that. You know, I see you have hope, and I want hope, and that kind of thing. And maybe that's the best way to do it, because then that means over the long haul, someone sees that this is a real blessing, and 
they would want that too when times are good as well as when times aren't good. Some of us, and I would count myself in this situation, I'm not always so swift at knowing what the right words are to say. I just don't, you know. So I take a long-term view toward, I take a relational view that if if I'm with somebody and they're, you know, pro-abortion or pro-this or pro-that, I'm really actually more interested in not correcting them in the moment. But I'm going to engage. Yes. Like we're doing now. I'm yes, going to engage. Exactly. And this is going to be the way that I do it because that's, that's what works best for me. But there are other people I know that would look at my style and they would say, you know, man, you need to really get after people. You know, you need to get out on, on the soapbox. And that just doesn't – that would be so disingenuous for me to do that. So – and really, it would kind of have the opposite effect of what, of what your in your end goal hopefully is, yeah. which is to you know yeah. it may actually turn them away mm-hmm. from your from not only your message but Christ's message. Yeah, you could as well, which is which yeah. may be worse. Yeah, yeah, the ego can get in there real fast, yeah. you know. And then now it's my job to save people. No, yeah. it's not my job to save people. It's just my job to share the the message of that. But I'm going to have to do it in the way that works for me. Yeah, and it's and it's the Holy Spirit's job to, yeah. to work on their the heart. The Holy Spirit yeah. makes things grow. Yeah, that's right. Well, th- thank you very much for for helping me like air out my anxieties to. Yeah, that's like, good. And, and, and help like kind of like I guess spar with me to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to well, kinda... I you know I love how you said it earlier, Phil. You said maybe I just answered my own question. I mean, to me, that's the the beauty of of conversation and the beauty of of sort of saying everybody is in a starting place and I'm in a different starting place but I'm still in a starting place and so um talking it out and talking it through um and really kind of wrestling with it is how we I think we end up we do end up kind of answering our own questions and then hopefully we come up with some more questions. Yeah, so, exactly. And, yeah. and oh, believe me, I have I have plenty. Good. Um, but good. but maybe not for for this yeah. session. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with for you. Sure. Yeah, it's getting kind of late. So yeah, yeah <laughs> but, so this was good for us to do this. Um, and and we'll just do more of it. Yes, and okay. I, I'm I'm very glad that that we we do we are able to have this type of discussion and and getting it on the record. For, Per se, so not only that that you and I can go back and reference it, but anyone that's listening to it could, even if whether they agree with it or disagree with it. My hope is that you know it it helps bring bring a different perspective, like you like you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, helps them helps whoever see maybe a different side yeah. uh, that that they may not have thought of before, and and more so so that they can not only learn from it, but maybe reference other people to it as well. Well, I think, too, what helps a lot is that you and I have a high respect for each other. And so even though, you know, you come at it from maybe a little different point than me and I, you... I, I, might, be a li- I might be a little bit more liberal-minded in some yeah. things. Well I, well, I would guess so. I mean, you know, I, I, would, I, would, I would want that. Um, right. You know, but again, I think we... We share in common a common foundation, and when the foundation is the same and you have a high respect for the foundation, i.e. the Word of God, then 
then, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Jesus used the example of the guy that builds his house on the rock versus on the sand. Well, your house looks different than mine. But, but it's all the same But rock. it's all on the rock. <laughs> there, See, yeah. so that's the beauty of it is that we're not, you and I are not disputing the validity of the rock. And that's what what I really think we we can have we should have another conversation about that sometime because because I do think that that when people take the rock out of their lives then basically what they're doing is standing on sand cuz it is kind of an either or it's either the rock or the sand and if the rock is the word and and Jesus and God and all of that what what's the sand well the sand is very is very like everything that that's not. <laughs> yeah, and and so if it's not, if my rock is not, if the foundation is not God, well then it's me, and I can stand on my own two feet. Yes, I can, but what about then when the storms come, and what about when the winds come, and things happen that I can't control? Then that's gonna that's gonna fire up a lot of anxiety inside and. And uh, I would rather have anxiety standing on the rock than have anxiety standing in the sand. So um, maybe that'll be another conversation at some point. Well, we'll definitely have a lot more more sessions. Like yeah, this. let's do. Let's uh, do. For sure. Yeah, great. Right. Good deal. Good deal. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone, or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.